Good morning, church. My voice is only about 30%, but that's all right. My brain's the same level, and so it, they'll match quite well. Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers here. We're very happy to see you. Um, if you came expecting a Mother's Day sermon, I don't do those. So um, consider that your sermon there. Um, <laughs> but I'd also like to acknowledge we don't want to take anything away from our mothers. We love our mothers. But we need to also acknowledge that this is a very painful day for some women. Uh, those who always wanted to be mothers but are not due to either physical circumstance or um, they were single and didn't want to be. We also have the grieving who have lost a child. We have those that are grieving because they've lost a mother this year. We need to remember those women as well. And ladies, if you are here with us, you need to know that you are treasured here. That we honor our mothers without reservation, but we also honor you. And that we want you to be at home and at peace among us. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, thank you for godly mothers. Those of us who had those know what a gift they were to us and still are. We pray that we will take the best from what our mothers taught us and pass it on to the next generation so that they can take the best of us and pass it on to the next. And Father, we pray also that your spirit will be in a special way with those, um, those gold star mothers who have lost their children, giving them as a gift to the ages and the nation those blue star and silver star mothers whose children are in harm's way or who were harmed in protecting us. We also pray that you would bless those who are childless, bless those who always wanted what others seem to have so easily. Help us, Father, to be patient, to wait on Jesus, and know that we will understand it all by and by. Thank you, Father for being our God and our hope. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and the whole church says, amen. Now, visitors especially, welcome home, but you've come at an odd day, um, not just because I sound like this. These, th this is just allergies. I sound like I'm from Shelbyville if I don't have allergies. <laughs> uh, we have a history in the Churches of Christ. We have our own traditions, we have our ways of doing things. And because of that, sometimes we need to address them. This summer, as I teach the Connection class in here from, from June through July, we're gonna take a look at who we are, who we were, and who we are becoming as a, as a body. You may not be all that interested in it, and I understand that, I really do, and I apologize if today makes your eyes cross a little bit when we talk about something so odd as music in church. Uh, when I grew up, everybody knew who the Church of Christ was. They're the ones who believed in baptism and didn't believe in music. And some of you may have come here this morning as visitors and thought, are we in the right place? I want to talk about that. I want to honor that discussion. In this summer, like I said, we're going to take a look at it in depth. Today, we're going to take a look at it from 20,000 feet flying by because we don't have that kind of time. We have a God who is far more interesting than we have given him credit for. He is far bigger than we've given him credit for. 
We keep trying to narrow our God down and control him. In fact, when Aaron built the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai, his sin was not in building the idol. The scripture says so. The scripture says his sin was in building it and saying, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. He wanted a controllable, seeable God that you could predict and know where he was at all times. That's not the God we got. So we need to talk about who we are, how we got there. And that, by the way, as, as a science guy, epistemology is very important to me. Now, that's a, it's a big word. Um, it means, how do you know what you know? Most of the time, what people think they know is wrong. Sorry, it is. People will even say, I caught a cold. Well, there's no such thing. There are over 500 rhinoviruses. You got one of those. You were rhinoed. That's what happened to you. But you don't get a cold by being in the cold, and most of us know that by now. There are all kinds of myths out there. Uh, one of the big myths that just got exploded they had a look for the last 40 years at diet, and I don't know if you saw this or not, because they were kind of embarrassed when they released it last week. They said, uh, we just found out that no fat thing doesn't really work. Amen. <laughs> this is why God didn't say, I will bless you with the broccoli of the land. He said, I will bless you with the fat of the land. And yet, we don't pay attention to... And so we know all kinds of things that are not true. And we know that all kinds of things about music that are not true. Our God is an artist. Have you had a look? Have you had a look at what he has? One of the reasons I have allergies, it's my own fault. I've been inside for years. We lived in Colorado. And today, in Denver, they're getting four to eight, uh, sorry, five to eight inches of snow. So, and people say, oh, I love getting out in the cold. Not me. No, no, no. Cold is one of those signs from God not to be outside. I get it. I understand. He makes the road slippery. He does everything he can to show you. Don't be there. So I get out in it. And then I dust the pollen off. But I listen to the birds here. Amazing number of birds here. Um, in fact, we have one mockingbird who I'm, I'm going to lay out some seed with a little Prozac. He needs... <laughs> He needs to dial it back. <laughs> God made flowers. He made trees. Look at the individuals he made. These beautiful people that are all around you. And if you don't know it, you're beautiful. God made this. He's an artist. Listen to what he does. And it would not be a surprise to us to find out God loves music. He built it into everything. He built it into our worship as well. We first run across instruments in Genesis chapter 4. That's pretty early on. And if you take a look, it, they just keep showing up. These, by the way, are not all of the appearances. These are merely representatives. Uh, um, they're, they're merely examples of what we're looking at today. To call the assembly together, to give commands in battle as an entertainment celebration, to show honor to the king, to soothe or calm someone in pain, to keep the shepherds alert as they watch their sheep, and many, many times, in many, many places in the worship of God. Fact is, most of the mentions of instruments in Scripture are about use in worship. When the people of Israel were released from slavery, Miriam, yes, they had a female praise team member, 
who led the women of Israel and the whole people of Israel in songs that she and Moses wrote. And they used timbrels. They used uh, shaking instruments, which is what they could bring out of Egypt. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought in, not only did they use instruments, they also danced. And some people had clothing issues, if you remember that story. All through the Psalms, and these are not all of the, the places of the Psalms that we could use, uh, you, you will see instruments in worship. God even commanded their use in Chronicles. Let's go to that. He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, hearts, lyres, and in the way prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan, the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. And as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David and the kings of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. God ordered it. He wanted the noise. As an aside, it has changed in the last 30 years. But forever, going to Breton, if you were a musical performer, they had to send you aside for a bit and say, be prepared. They're not Americans. They're not going to go crazy. As you sing, when you're done, they'll look at each other and go, well, that was quite nice. But they won't be going, ah, there's no mosh pit. Well, there is now. They've learned. Uh, the, uh, in fact, the English even go further and throw a riot in your uh, honor. But they, uh, the, the, the whole thing is that they were very toned back. God didn't want toned back. Have you noticed what he's made? Have you noticed the in-your-face colors and noises God makes? And if you didn't notice it, God gives you children to show you. Children who don't understand the concept whisper. They don't get it. Why? Because God doesn't want them to get it. He wants it to be noisy. We want it to be controlled because we want God to be controlled. God is the one who said, make a joyful noise. And our knee-jerk reaction is, indecently and in order. No, he said a joyful noise. As we raised our children, one of the rules we had was... God put the wiggle in kids. Don't take it out. Let them wiggle. Let them be kids. That's why sometimes as I preached, kids would join me on the stage. And as you know, as soon as a kid joins you, the sermon's done. Because people are not going to listen. And I always figured that was a sign from God. Ah, I don't want to hear that anymore. Send a kid. When the people went in, uh, by the way, God loves art. If you take a look in the Old Testament, he loves art. We're suspicious of artists in religion. We have been, especially in our tribe. But God required lots of decoration, colors, metallic surfaces, jewels, fabrics. He wanted them all inside the temple, around the tabernacle. He limits the kind of instruments in the, in the temple itself. But outside, anything goes, knock yourself out. And they listed over 20 different instruments in the Old Testament, eight of which we still cannot identify. We don't even know what they were, but they were used. But then something happened. When the people were sent into exile, instruments began to disappear. Why? You're poor. You descend into poverty. You can only carry what you can carry and what is not stolen from you. 
And plus, it did seem unseemly uh, in a couple of places in Scripture to play with instruments of joy when you're in exile in a strange land. Those, by the way, who stayed in Judah kept their instruments. This may surprise you to know this. The number of people sent off into exile never exceeded 20% of the population. But it was the top 20%. That's why they get so much press in Scripture. The ones who remained, they kept their instruments. The ones that went could not. And it was during the time of the exile that the synagogue came into, to, into play. If you're a visitor, synagogue is a church word. All it means is gathering or congregation, assembly. It's just an old word for that. That's all it means. But we like to church it up and call it synagogue. And I want you to understand something about God that you may not have understood before. There was nothing in the synagogue that looked like what he had commanded in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Nothing. None of the sacrifices, none of the joyful noises, none of the, the priests with their robes and all this. In fact, no priest. And yet that's what they could offer God, and God not only accepted it, when Jesus came among us, he joined it. God is not as hung up on procedures and liturgy and rules as we are. Even about what is proper. I've told you the story before about how my mother did not want us to look into a certain field because two cattle were in the attempt of making more. <laughs> and her response to my father was, he, they shouldn't just do things like that right out in front of everybody. <laughs> well, God is not as interested in your being proper as he, as, as we are. He's not that interested. We need to learn that God is also not hung up on the rules and procedures that we think he is. They ignored Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and he blessed them and joined it. By the way, in a synagogue style, it formed an exile. So guess what? They didn't use instruments. They weren't opposed to them. They didn't have them. So they sang. Even today, secret churches meet all over the world where it's illegal to meet. In Burma, Nepal, uh, places of China, in China and the like. And they sing very, very quietly, if at all. Because if they are heard through the thin walls of their apartment, they're off to jail. People in exile don't make noises. They sing quietly in a controlled way. So why do we sing a cappella? When I was a boy, I was, I was told it's because we love Jesus and believe the Bible. Okay, which, both of which are true, by the way. Churches of Christ, I think we have always been people who believed our Bible and loved Jesus. So there's no criticism there at all. However, that's a non sequitur. Those, that's not an answer to the question. It's a complete driving by in the middle of the night thing. What's, what, why are we a cappella? Some, the argument would then come, we are, we are, it's the argument of the silence of Scripture. In the New Testament, we're told to sing, but we're never told to play. We've all heard that, right? I heard that argument all my life. I taught that argument until I became a scientist and began to learn how to trace arguments back to their beginning. And then went, uh-oh, there's a problem. 
By the way, even in our religious tribe, this was not an issue until after the Civil War when the churches in the South were too poor for instruments and the churches in the North had them. And it began to be an angry thing. We'll talk about that this summer. By the way, uh, before anybody asks, and I know I'll get asked on Facebook anyway, um, I'm asked on Facebook. I have for the last, I don't know, 15 years, every, every week. Do you guys record your sermons? Yes, again, every week. But, but people ask, will the class be recorded? I don't know. They haven't recorded me so far on the class. The sermons are recorded. They're free. They're copyright free as well, and they're worth every penny. But <laughs> the, uh, the, the class, I don't know if that we're set up for that or not. If we are, it'll be put up there. We're not afraid to put up what we talk about. That said, people, we were told, we did not use instruments in the early years of our faith. They're right. But I wanted to know why. When did, who made that decision that our early churches did not use instruments for the first couple of hundred years? And that's generally true. All right? Why? Well, we need to remember that those first 200 years were a serious time of conflict between Christians and Jews. During a great amount of that time, people couldn't tell the two apart because the Jews thought Christians were just an aberrant sect of the Jews. And then they rejected the Christians, and the Christians began to reject the Jews. It was a very politically tumultuous time. And eventually, early on, Christians wanted to separate themselves as much as possible from the Jews. That's important. I have collected more than 50 quotes from the first two centuries about instruments, and they don't say what you might think. Have a look at Chrysostom, for example. David formally sang songs. Also, today, we sing hymns. He had a lyre with lifeless strings. The church has a lyre with living strings. Our tongues are the strings of the lyre with a different tone indeed, but much more in accordance with piety. Okay, we're just going to let it go. Let's look at the next one. Augustine. Musical instruments were not used. The pipe tabret and harp here associate so intimately with the sensual heathen cults as well as with the wild reveries and shameless performances of the degenerate theater and circus it is easy to understand the prejudices against their use in the worship augustine was not a fun guy he had some issues with sex and with everything else Let's look at uh, Thomas Aquinas. This is obviously not in the first couple hundred years. Our church does not use musical instruments as harps and psalteries to praise God with all that she might not seem to Judaize. Very important. Take a look at Clement, one of the earliest writers in the church, still writing when some apostles were alive. Leave the pipe to the shepherd, the flute to the men who are in fear of gods and intent on their idol worshiping. Such musical instruments must be excluded from our wingless feast. I don't know what that means. For they are more suited for beast and for the class of men that is least capable of reason than for men. In reality, man is an instrument for peace. But these other things, if anyone concerns himself overmuch with them, become instruments of conflict, for they inflame the passions. Let's take a look at another quote. 
The Etruscans, for example, used the trumpet for war. The Arcadians, the horn, the sickles, the flute, the Cretans, the, the, the lyre, the Lacedonians, the, the pipe, the Thracians, the bugle, the Egyptians, the drum, and the Arabs, the cymbal. But for us, we make use of one instrument alone, only the word of peace by whom we offer an homage to God, no longer with ancient harp or trumpet or drum or flute, which those trained for war employ. Have you noticed something? None of them said, God told us to sing, and so we're just going to sing. Not a one of the early quotes says that. Not a one of the early quotes has an argument from silence. It all comes down to, we don't want to look like Jews. We don't want to look like pagans. And we're not, we're not as sensual and sexual as the world is, and music is sensual and sexual. That was it. Those were the arguments. There were no arguments against instruments using the argument of silence or direct command of God to sing and sing only. Not anywhere until the 1800s. And yet people think this is an ancient argument. No, it isn't. Try to find it. And it is not. By the way, if some of you are thinking, but the word solo means they didn't all preach in Greek. The writing which we have, that word can mean also playing instruments. We all know that's an argument which has never convinced anybody. Let's back away from that. Instead, let's look at what is. By the way, they were poor. They were an exiled church, but not for long. The years 600 to 800 brought a many golden age where people had money to spend, and guess what they spent it on? Instruments. And guess what they did with them? They brought them to church. And that's how they, they sang and they worshiped God. Uh, Pope Vitalian introduced them officially in 670. He preferred the organ, so he made that the first one. But not every Catholic scholar liked them. This may be a shock. People don't like change. <laughs> Look at Erasmus. We have brought into our churches certain operatic and theatrical music. Such a confused, disorderly chattering of some words as I hardly think was ever in any of the Grecian or Roman theaters. The church rings with the noise of trumpets, pipes, dulcimers. So there were some Appalachian people. Human voices strive to bear their part with them. Men run to churches, to a theater to have their ears tickled. And for this end, organ makers are hired with great salaries and a company of boys who waste all their time learning these whining tones. Again, not invited to a lot of parties. But do you notice there's no argument from Scripture, no argument from Jesus' example, no argument from God's command. It is all, I don't like them. They remind me of what the world does. Kind of like Clement saying, the Arabs do this. And how many times were we told, if we do that, people will think we're Baptist? The horror. <laughs> or people will think we're Methodist. Or people will think we're, we can't do it because they do it. That's not an argument. Not if you're, not, it's not a theological argument. We need theology. By the way, 
interestingly enough, every time I read a book on why we don't use instruments, they used a bunch of Protestant writers as well to show us why we don't. But what they never brought up was the Protestant writers never argued that it was a command of God to sing only. Never. They only argued that using instruments made them look like Catholics. Made us look like Jews, make us look like Greeks, make us look like Arabs, make us look like Catholics. As if there was something inherently wrong with the instruments, and yet God ordered them. Take a look at Luther, what he had to say. The organ in the worship is the insignia of Baal. Whoa. The Roman Catholic borrowed it from the Jews. How about a Baptist historian? Could not find his name in the document. Staunch old Baptist in former times would have soon tolerated the Pope of Rome in their pulpits as an organ in their galleries. And yet the instrument has gradually found its way among them. How far this modern organ fever will extend among our people and whether it will on the whole work a reformation or a deformation in their singing service, time will more fully develop. Okay, but where's the argument? Where's your point? Calvin wrote this. Oh, it's a bit small, isn't it? Um, I'm going to walk over the pews to read this one. It's my own fault. I made the slide. But it was big on my... Anyway. Musical instruments and celebrating the praises of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense, the lighting of lamps. In other words, it makes us look like Jews and Catholics. And the restoration of other shadows of the law. The papists, therefore, have foolishly borrowed this, as well as many other things from the Jews. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in that noise, but the simplicity which God recommends to us by the apostles is far more pleasing to him. Who told you, John? Who told you? Paul allows us to bless God in the public assembly of the saints, only in a known tongue. What shall we then say of chanting? which fills the ears with nothing but an empty sound. Wow. He just leapt off one argument into another one there. It was not even consistent. Here's the problem. Got to do this quickly. Calvin had an apostle named John Knox. He was more Calvin than Calvin. Calvin went to Scotland. And Calvin turned that country into a dark country. There were murders, burnings, beheadings. It was an awful thing, all in the name of Jesus. He stripped out all of the art. There were no more stained glass windows. There was no more painting. All of the opera, all of the play was can plays were canceled. Poets were killed. All beauty was stripped out because God wanted everything plain and God wanted everything stark. Instruments were burned. Priests were killed. I've walked among the ruins of I don't know how many broken churches from that day. And he left the country, Calvinist, stark, believing that that's what God wanted. And people from there came to America and brought the concept of freedom with them and devised churches. The Church of Christ folk came from people named Campbell, O'Malley, Haggard, Rice, Stone, Scottish names. And they brought that concept with them, that God likes things plain. Have you seen outside? 
God doesn't like things plain. Not to put too far. All right, let's just leap to it. If God likes things plain, why did he leap, raise up the, the back end of baboons and paint a rainbow? I'm aware that you've not had preachers talk to you like this before. But there's a new sheriff in town. I will not allow my countrymen to strip the beauty that God put into the world and into worship. We do not ever at this church want instruments to overwhelm the human voice. And we're going to work hard on that. We're going to get that wrong sometimes. We're going to get the balance wrong. We're going to sing the wrong songs. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to mess things up. But kids do that and parents still love them because we do it joyfully unto the Lord. Remember, God commanded their use in the Old Testament. He accepted their ever-changing circumstances and didn't complain when the worship changed. And he shows no sign of losing interest in art and beauty today. In fact, he keeps making artists. He must not be done with them. And the argument from silence wasn't made till the late 1880s. Remember, I told you the story that when I was a teenager, I climbed one of the Tetons. And part of the way up, there was a beautiful stream, and everybody started drinking, and I went, is that safe? And they said, oh, up here, it's the purest water you'll ever find. I held back. We went another couple hundred yards around the bend, and there were cattle standing in the stream, <laughs> doing what cattle do in streams. Don't allow an argument to survive unless you trace it to its source and see where it came from. Almighty God gave us freedom. Let's close with these two verses out of Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Look at this last sentence. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Would you read that sentence with me? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. God is not interested in what songs we sang today. He is not interested in whether we had instruments or not. He's interested in, did you express love?